This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Father, I thank you that you're here with us today. I thank you for this word that you've given me. I thank you that it's really grown in my heart, Father. I pray that you'll be glorified today, that as a church we'll be blessed and moved on through your message, Lord, in your name. Amen. Cool. So we're in this series of God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and today we're looking at Abraham's faith tested. I don't know about you. I don't know how you know uh, that God is speaking to you, how you know it's his voice, how clear you are on that. If you've been around for the last few weeks, um, you'll have heard about the ups and downs of Abraham's and Sarah's lives. And today we're going to jump back into Genesis and we're going to read of a really faithful and wavering man who really does hear the voice of God rather clearly. Okay, so let's get into it. Thanks, Rich. <clears throat> it's quite a long passage. So this is Genesis 22, 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood onto it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So we're going to explore this passage together this morning. We're going to pull it apart and see what we can see happening in it and try to discover just what is going on and what this could possibly mean for us and our lives. So as we said in verse one, Abraham clearly hears God. God calls his name and Abraham replies, here I am. He then tells him quite a drastic thing. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Isaac, if I was Abraham, rather, I think I probably would pretend I hadn't heard him. I think I'd be thinking, me? My? My? No. One, it can't be God. I can't hear you that clearly. Abraham clearly heard an audible voice. I would have probably pretended I definitely hadn't heard that. And the thought of sacrificing my young child, however old he was, we'll discover in a minute, my seed who I'd loved and I'd nurtured. Imagine if that was Thea. I'd think, you're asking me to do premeditated murder. You're asking me to sacrifice this precious child who I've longed for, I've nurtured, I've grown, and you're expecting me to murder him. I think about how much I love Thea and I think, how can a loving Heavenly Father ask such a thing of me? Then I thought about Abraham in this story as I've kind of meditated on it for the last few weeks. How much more was invested in Isaac from the promise that God had given him? Him and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were so convinced they were never going to have Isaac. And he has this massive promise over him that he will be the seed of the nation. He, uh, Abraham knows the future is in Isaac. So how much more is it for him to be asked to sacrifice his child? It was especially hard, I think, because it seems to contradict the previous promise of God. God's already promised, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So it seems strange and contradictory to kill the son who was promised to carry on the covenant when it hadn't yet been fulfilled in him. Abraham was probably a boy of about 20. He hadn't got any descendants yet. So for the Lord to say he was going to kill him kind of undoes the promise that Abraham had received. It seemed as if God commanded Abraham to kill the very promise that God had made to him. When I was thinking about this, I think what God was teaching Abraham was in fact about the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. Perhaps we can put God's promise before God himself and feel some sort of responsibility that we need to bring the promise to pass, even if we have to disobey God to do it. In light of what we read I think it's important that we trust the promise, the promiser, no matter what, and the promise will be taken care of itself. I wonder if there are promises you believe for your own life. Do you trust the promise more than the promiser? I think of my own life, promises that the Lord's made over Mark and I, and the call we feel to the nations and the fact that we just want to go. And I think I'm trusting the promise and not the promiser. I think, oh, what are you doing here, Lord? This, this is just an intermediary time. Surely it's time for us to go. I'm trusting the promise and not the promiser. In Genesis 17, it reminds us, Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him again and said, I am God all-powerful. If you obey me and always do right, I will keep my solemn promise to you and give you more descendants than can be counted. Let's remember that in Abraham, all, all his hopes and dreams were in Isaac. His promise had come true. He'd born at Sarah, had born him a son. They had this magical promise over them. It's quite staggering then that the Lord would ask him to sacrifice his promised child. But who is number one in Abraham's life? It's God. 
God still above everything else. It's not his beloved child who all his hopes and dreams and promises for the world are in. He still trusts the promiser, not the promise. How did Abraham respond then to God's command to sacrifice Isaac? Well, he responded with an immediate obedience. I think if it was me, I'd say, okay, God, let's talk about that a little bit more, maybe tomorrow. Maybe I'll come back to you and we'll talk about the whens and the how of when I'm going to have to sacrifice my child, but not for Abraham. Seemingly, he gets up early the next morning, starts on his uh, journey with the servants and a donkey and Isaac in tow and the firewood ready for the offering. His unquestioning obedience to God's command gave God the glory. Abraham's faith was such that even if he had sacrificed Isaac, he believed the Lord would keep his word and raise Isaac from the dead. We learn that in Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promise was the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac, your offspring should be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. So here's the two-headed thing that's going on. You've got Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac to actually slay his only child, blood on his own hands, but also has the faith, well, okay, God, so even if I have to do that, I know you're bringing back from the dead because you've promised. Quite astonishing. I'm not sure I would have the faith, A, to kill or B, to pray for raising from the dead. Although secretly, I'm passionate about people raised from the dead. No opportunity as yet, but I'm definitely not going to kill anybody to find out. So on its own, this story is a shocking twist of a a tale of faith in God. It's a a shocking story of a father and a son and a sacrifice. But actually, in this story, there are two fathers and there are two sons. The Old Testament story of Abraham is the basis of the New Testament teaching on atonement, the sacrificial offering of the Lord Jesus on the cross for the sin of mankind. Jesus said many centuries later in John, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. There's amazing parallels in this passage between the story of um, Abraham and Isaac, but also God and Jesus. So we're going to draw out those parallels because that's where the real power of this story lies. So firstly, then we've got Abraham, a man of faith. He's promised a legacy. Everything is in this child, Isaac. And here we see God telling him to sacrifice his child, What amazed me when I was reading this passage is that willingly Abraham goes and willingly Isaac goes. They're both so obedient and willing to what God has said. So let's draw out some parallels together. So in the first uh, verses, the Lord says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Well, we know in another part of the Bible, a precious son, son is given. God is asking for the same thing that he knows he's going to have to do for himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son in John three sixteen. So here we have an immediate parallel. He is saying, take your son, your only son whom you love, knowing that he's going to give Jesus his only son for our sacrifice as atonement for our sin. He says to him, go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him. When I was reading about this, it said this is believed this is the area where the city of Jerusalem was built many years later, where Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. That's in Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verse 12 said, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So God isn't just 
making this up by chance. He's not just saying, I'll go up that mountain, that one will do. It's a special chosen place acknowledged by Abraham. It's as if Abraham's probably been there. He knows where he is going and he knows what he's going for. It talks in verse two also about sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Well, we know that Jesus was the greatest offering dying for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 tells us that. Verse 4, I think, is the verse probably that bowled me away the most. There's so much in these two verses, verse 4 and 5. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So picture this. Three days it takes to get to the mountain. So there's three days of a father walking with his beloved son. He's 20 years old. They've got a great relationship. His seed is in him. They love each other dearly. They're going almost like, if you think, a trek and a bit of a camping trip together. Isaac has no idea what's coming. Abraham does. They're spending time together. They're talking, enjoying each other's company. They're sleeping out. They might be visiting people on the way. Meanwhile, Abraham knows the whole time what God is asking him to do. I wonder if the whole time Abraham's asking God, really, do I have to do I have to do this? Does Abraham one of those get so many moments where he thinks, Lord, please don't let this be what it has to be. Meanwhile, he's trying to cover with Isaac, maybe not show his emotions where inside he's desperately weeping and crying out to the Lord. Lord, don't let this be true. Wrestling with the fact that he knows the promise over him. He trusts in the promiser. He knows there's a promise in Isaac's life. We have this idea of worship, worship to go. We will worship and then come back to you. So this word in Hebrew means to simply bow down. While Abraham and Isaac didn't go to the mountain to have a time of joyful praise, they did go to bow down to the Lord. And that's driving Abraham on. He knows there has to be a sacrifice to take place. I love when he says, we will come back to you. When I was talking to Howard about this, I thought, he knows. He knows they're both going to come back one way or another. Hopefully not with a dead child. He knows they're going to come back. We will come back to you. What I love about Abraham here is that Abraham is so confident we will come back. Abraham is someone that knows that he knows that he knows that God is on the throne. Abraham knows that God is not a bad God. No matter what he's asking him to do, he knows he is faithful and he knows God is on the throne. I find that really reassuring. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I was wondering when Isaac was going to pipe up. Because you must be thinking, Dad, what are we doing? We've got all the things for an offering, but I haven't got a ram. Where are we going? What are we doing? But still, Isaac goes. It says here, something stood out to me. It says he placed it on his son Isaac. The idea that he was carrying the wood on his own shoulders reminds me of John 19, 17, when he says, Jesus went out bearing his own cross to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Jesus had to carry his own cross that was going to bring him to his death. Isaac is carrying the wood on his shoulders, seemingly to carry him to his death. And then Isaac says, where's the lamb? He knows there needs to be a sacrifice and atonement. He knows what a burnt offering would look like. And he's wondering where it is. 
Now, we know in the Bible uh, where lambs are mentioned, especially in the New Testament, they're talking about Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knows there is an atonement to pay in Jesus, Jesus being the lamb that is sacrificed for the world. And Isaac knows there needs to be a lamb to, to be sacrificed in this story. Isaac's questioning his dad, dad, haven't we forgotten something? What? I'm sure we're missing something that's quite crucial here. But Abraham knows that God will provide. He doesn't say, yeah, it's you. Sorry, son. It's, it's time. He says God will provide. This is the foreshadowing of the gospel. The sacrificial lamb is yet to come. Verse 9 says, when he reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him, on, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, if it was Thea and I said, just lay down there, she'd be like, okay, mummy. But Isaac wasn't a child. I assumed he must have been quite young to be so obedient to his father, thinking that obviously teenagers are a bit more unruly. But actually, he wasn't. He was in his early 20s. And yet he let his father, 125 years old probably, who was weaker, older, more frail, he let his father tie him up and lay him there. So Isaac's now thinking, oh great, I, I know I'm the lamb, this is what's going to happen. He could have fought his father off, but he didn't. He was passively faithful. Isaac trusted his father. He knew that whatever was happening, he trusted him and he was obedient. Who else do we know that was passively faithful, obedient to his father in the Bible? Matthew 26, 39 says, Jesus, we read, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if this possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I wonder if Isaac's internally saying, really, God, really? Like, I trust you and I trust my dad, but what is he doing? Please don't let this be my, the, your will for me. Actually, outwardly, he's laying down and he's giving up his will for his father. He trusts his father. So Isaac faithfully lays down, just as Jesus faithfully laid down his life for his father, both knowing and trusting and being obedient. John nineteen eighteen says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my father has commanded. Here you can see a huge parallel between what Isaac is doing, sacrificing his life voluntarily Perhaps Isaac knows and trusts that God would raise him from the dead. Now we get to the serious bit of the story. Can can you imagine the moment where Abraham has bound his son and laid him down? They're looking into each other's eyes. It's the moment of saying goodbye. Abraham has no idea whether he's going to have to kill him or not. I imagine he's really hoping he doesn't, but he's faithful to his God. His God has made a promise and he trusts in him. But equally, God has told him, you need to kill your son. Can you imagine Abraham and Isaac looking into each other's eyes? I can't even, I can't even picture it with Thea because I would probably just cry. Uh, tears would be streaming down their face. It's not to be underestimated what he was asking him to do. He's got the, it says he has a knife ready to strike. Blood would be on his hands. He would kill his own child because that's what God has asked. The thought of losing a child as a parent is, is horrific. Now, I know I haven't got as much faith as Abraham. I'm sure I don't have enough faith for what God was asking him to do or the faith to raise him again from the dead. I don't want any harm to come to my child. 
And I hope the Lord never asked me to sacrifice her. But I'd like to get to the place of Abraham, of trusting in God, to know his promises are true over our lives. Who knows what they said to each other in those moments or how many moments pass by when he's got his hand on the knife and he's laying there obediently. I wonder what they said, if they said anything. I wonder what God was doing there. As we've already said, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. We said, we've learned that in Hebrews. He considered he, that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham knew and trusted so unwaveringly that even if God had st- hadn't stopped him, he knew he'd bring him back to life because the promise had been made about his descendants. That is quite overwhelming. So then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Who's the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus. Jesus shows up. Here I am, he replied. That seems like a casual response to me. Like, oh, here I am. Here I am. Yeah, I'm just about to kill my son. Have you got anything else I need to do first? You know. And he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. I imagine that there was a massive like, sigh of relief in that moment. Abraham thought, oh, praise you, Jesus, for a turning up a great moment. I wonder how Abraham felt, whether he was just so overcome by emotion that he just wept. The relief, the fact that he had trusted God and that he had shown up to relieve him from his duties, as it were. I bet there were high emotions all around in that moment. Abraham still knows there has to be a sacrifice. He looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. I imagine that was a real hearty moment of worship, giving that burnt offering up. I imagine the relief of Isaac, but also perhaps the admiration of his father to be so faithful to his God. And Isaac was right. There did need to be a lamb. Instead of him, the son, there was a substitution. At the heart of our faith, we have a substitutionary atonement we were submit, submit, substituted to be re- reconciled with God. We were substituted to be reconciled with God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and been separated by nature and choice from God. Either we had to die for our sins or Jesus died as a substitution on our behalf. Jesus went to the cross as a substitution for us, exchanging sin for righteousness. This is the gospel and this is the good news. Derek Kidner in his commentary on Genesis says, so he, Abraham, is enabled in the surrender of his son to mirror God's still greater love while his faith gives him a first glimpse of resurrection. So we can see here these parallels, that foreshadowing of what is to come, the gospel promise. It affirms to me the truth that God doesn't ask us to do that which he hasn't already done. So Abraham called the the place the Lord will provide. And on this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I swear by myself. I love that bit because he can't say I swear on God because he is God. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely 
bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. He reiterates his promise, that affirmation that through your offspring they'll be blessed because you've obeyed. So once I'd read the passage and I'd pulled up these things and I thought, God, that is, that is a clever story, God. You are a good God, even in the face where I thought, why would you ask someone to do that? But it still made me think, why would God ask Abraham to do this? It doesn't sound to me like a God who's abounding in love, mercy and forgiveness. He was this close away from killing his child. Did God need to test Abraham to see what was in his heart? No, he didn't. God knows everyone's heart. When Sarah lies and laughs, as Vic preached to us the other week in Genesis, God said he knows this heart. He didn't need to learn something new. He already knew. What is God teaching or showing us in this situation? That's what I've been wrestling with in preparation for this. And for me, there are two main elements that have really stuck with me whilst I've been preparing this this, uh, from this passage. Those two things are faith and obedience. What amazing faith Abraham had in the face of a huge challenge. If we face huge challenges, we can still exercise great faith. This is the place actually where faith works the most. When we feel like God puts a squeeze on us, it's a test of our faith to be a testimony of our faith. This faith is showing those around us the love of God. Can you go to the next slide, Rich? Thank you. So when I think about my own life and the testimony of, of the faithfulness of God, I think about my mum. Some of you will know that my mum's got early onset dementia. She's been ill for 10 years now. She's just 67. And in this journey we've had of the last 10 years of slowly losing her and waves of grief, there's been anger, there's been upset, there's been times of peace, there's been really tragic events, there's been real highs and lows. But one thing that Mark and I have definitely learned over the more recent years is the knowledge that God is always on the throne. We have the hope to see his glory come in this situation, whatever that looks like. And even if we don't get to see it, I know that I know that I know that he works for all good things. He works for his good and his glory. And I trust God. I know that he's a good God. Faith builds faith. I don't understand But I love and trust in God. And we're learning to know what God looks like and how he does that in our lives. In hardship, do we run from God or run to God? Or do I get on my knees and pray and worship him? I know that when friends around us have said, well, how how have you coped? You wouldn't know that this is going on in your lives. And you just think, only God. Only God can give us the strength to be obedient and to have the faith through the times that the Lord puts us through. We all have testing times. Wenham says, Crises that test faith and obedience to the uttermost are still part of the disciples' lot. The disciple too must be ready to take up the cross and follow. And those who endure to the end may hope to hear the Lord's commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I long to hear that. Do you long for that? The second thing that really struck me about this passage is Isaac. Isaac's kind of underplayed in this story somewhat. It's, oh, Abraham, you are incredible, and he is incredible. To the point of killing his own child, he was faithful to God's promise. 
But let's not underestimate Isaac. He was obedient, faithful and good. He learned in this story that his father loves him so dearly and trusts in his Lord so unwaveringly that it actually showed Isaac who God was. This is where in in Genesis, God becomes the God of Abraham and Isaac. Don't forget, Isaac is going to take on the descendants. He is going to be the next father rising up after Abraham. And this is the point where he learns of his own relationship. If you like, Abraham is passing on the baton of faith. Isaac needs to learn his own relationship with God and to trust God for his own faith. I know that's definitely I want for our child. Phil Moore, in uh, one of the books I was reading called Straight to the Heart of Genesis, says, The focus of Genesis is about to turn from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac cooperated with his father's strange act of obedience because of a simple faith that was stirring inside him. One who had failed so badly in the past as a father and a husband taught his son on Mount Moriah what it meant to follow Yahweh and passed on the baton of faith to the next generation. It calls each of us, young and old, to lay down any Isaac which could be a rival to our fear of the Lord. It also demonstrates in graphic terms the heart of the Lord for us and for our children. So how do we respond to this passage today? Because that's what I'm really interested in. How does this impact our lives so that we can move forward in our faith and trust God a little bit more, have a greater faith, have a greater obedience? As we, if the band could come back up, as we move into worship and communion this morning, there's a few things I want us to be thinking about. I want you to think about your own life. What are the Isaacs in your life? Are there things that rival your fear of the Lord that you need to obediently lay down? Or are you a bit like me, living in the promises, the promise versus the promiser? Are you living in a promise over your life, but you're not really trusting the promiser? Or perhaps you just want more faith. More faith at the bottom of the mountain, more faith at the top of the mountain. So as we go into worship for a few minutes together, ask the Lord how he wants you to respond. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.